This is Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Primal Screen is about movies, from the ones on the big screen to the ones you stream. Hope you enjoy the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. Hello and welcome to the second season of Primal Screen, a Triple R film criticism show and podcast. I'm your host, Paul Anthony Nelson, returning for a new year of Primal Screen. And while a new year is upon us, we are still in the same virtual studio for the time being. (laughs) We haven't left. We haven't left. We're here forever. It's like the Phantom Zone and Superman. (laughs) Joining me here in the the tumbling uh, shard of of glass is Flick Ford. Hello, Paul. And Sally Christie. Hi, Paul. How are we all doing? How's our uh, how's our summer break been? <laughs> I don't know if I had much of a break, um, but um, oh look, sunshine's always good. Yep. <laughs> yeah, we need more of it, to be honest. Um, <laughs> so it's 2021, and if the movies have been telling us the truth, we are now in the year of Johnny Mnemonic, A Quiet Place, and Seeking a Friend for the End of the World. So until we can courier terabytes of data inside our head, are hunted by sound-sensitive aliens, and eventually hit by an asteroid, we are back for another year of reviews, some news, and occasional interviews in the world of movies, film, cinema, and streaming originals, whatever you want to call them nowadays. Just don't use the C word, you know, the one that rhymes with get bent, which is exactly what I want to say to people who call movies that. (laughs) Here at Primal Screen, we are nothing if not slaves to our own traditions. So as we do every year, we are kicking off with our summer summary show, looking at a selection of films we saw over the summer break, all in cinemas, which has been a joy to return to. First of all, we will follow Kerry Mulligan on her righteous rampage of revenge in Emerald Fennell's debut film, Promising Young Woman. Then we'll join Eric Banner in his first Australian film in over a decade and try not to mention Poiter in Robert (laughs) Connolly's procedural mystery, The Dry. Then we'll find that everything is connected in director Dominic Moll's multi-stranding thriller, Only the Animals. Plus, we'll do a quick whip round of other films we've dug this summer season. So let's jump straight in, shall we? I'm a nice guy. Are you? I thought we had a connection, I guess. A connection? Okay. What do I do for a living? Sorry, maybe that one's too hard. How old am I? How long have I lived in the city? What are my hobbies? What's my name? Promising Young Woman is the debut film from writer-director Emerald Fennell. Years after dropping out of a top medical school, Cassie, Kerry Mulligan, is 30 years old, working in a coffee shop and still living with her parents. She dearly misses her best friend and fellow student, Nina, by night. And uh, uh, Nina, and by night, she, uh, Cassie goes to clubs, pretending to be fall-down drunk to get men to take her home, waiting for the moment they attempt to take advantage of her seemingly vulnerable state so she can turn the tables scaring them, or even perhaps hurting them, into changing their ways. How did Cassie get here? And will the men who set her upon this path pay for their sins? Sally, were you intoxicated by Cassie's mission of vengeance, or did you want to take a mulligan? (laughs) 
What a way to start the start. Had to start year. strong. <laughs> you did start strong. Um, no, I really, I, I really loved Promising Young Woman. It was a pretty interesting experience watching it. Just the way that the and I'm obviously I'm not going to give away any spoilers for the film, but the way that the story, I guess, is told and unfolds and. Um, the control that Emerald Fennel has on the audience with that, I think that um, there were definitely points when I was watching this film where I really wanted to give up on it and I was like, oh, okay, we're going to take this road. And then, you know, something else would happen where, you know, I was definitely on side with it. So, yeah, there were points where I felt like I was going to come out of this film really disliking it, but I came out of the film really liking it. And um, that's because I do think that it it did go to places that I didn't expect it to for such a kind of um you know a big budget film I was trying to think of what other sort of quite mainstream rape revenge films existed I'm definitely a fan of that subgenre and I haven't been able I'm sure that there are some and maybe you can both help me out here but in yeah in the mainstream is this kind of the most sort of mainstream rape revenge film that we have do you think Oh, you got to be. Yeah. <laughs> Surely. Jeez, I mean, the soundtrack I've... alone is, mm. is kind of puts it firmly in that place. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah, I haven't thought of it too strongly in that, the like what the recent lineage has been, but um, um, I, there's a moment in Kill Bill that's technically a re- revenge sort of scenario, but yeah, yeah, but yeah. as far as an entire narrative built mm. around that. Because, yeah, I was thinking, is this going to kind of bring that subgenre up? you know, into conversation, well, it will because, you know, this is clearly not the first film that's done this, but it's the first film that I guess has done this in such, you know, uh, a, a public way. But it was, yeah, I was I was really impressed by this and, um, yeah, I, I did. I really, really liked it when I thought at points I wasn't going to, but I don't want to give away too much about it. <laughs> it's so hard to talk about it. It, it really is. There's, it's got so many twists and turns and I wouldn't want to ruin that experience yep. for anyone. But I, yeah, it was, I feel like on paper I was so amped up to see this. Like I, Emerald Fennell, who um, wrote Killing Eve, you can definitely see her like trademark on this. Mm-hmm. Um, the trailer is super catchy. It's yeah. got this like fantastic poppy um, sensibilities to it. The whole film the, the visual aesthetics of it are really like candied sort of. They're very bubblegum, aren't they? Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And um, also I got a text from Paul being like, fave film. <laughs> yeah. and so, Spoilers. Was- <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Yeah, I think <laughs> that the writing is really superb, especially with all the characters in this film. They are very complex and um, really dislikable, which... Mm. I, I think is yeah one of the strengths of the film is that we're not necessarily feeling sorry for people or pitying people or things like that there's a real sort of complexity to these characters and should we be rooting for them or are they bad people mm. yeah kind of on that and I don't want to it's going to be really hard to tiptoe around this yeah. I don't want to <laughs> ruin anything I think though that I have some issues with some of the decisions that Cassie makes um, because I feel like it's out of sync with her character's motivation and I don't Mm. want to (laughs) ruin anything. So just certain uh, two key scenes stand out for me in which I feel like there's a real, um, like just hasn't been thought through as to like actually if her character was motivated by 
X quality, <laughs> then how would it how would it develop? So just on a logical sense, I think that that characterization really jarred with me, and not in a. I don't think it was. I think it was. I think the film is maybe torn between: do we want to root for Cassie? Are we are we on her team, or are we showing a woman who's who's very distressed? And I think that the film hasn't quite worked out on what side of it it's on. Yep. yep. And. I do worry, uh, I don't know, I suppose the, the concern I would have, I don't know if someone who had experienced sexual assault would um, be advised to watch this film, not because of the violence, because I actually found that there's not much violence in this yeah, film. Yeah, there's not, a lot I was of, really quite yeah. surprised by that. Mm. Um, but I think maybe the conclusion it reaches might be a bit distressing for victims of sexual abuse mm-hmm. because of, um, it's so hard to talk around this. The oh, but the, yeah, the, how, the climax, how, there's yeah, an the elevator climax. drop. Let's just yeah. say that. And so I think yeah. that that in itself means that um, I get the sense that maybe it wasn't too sure of where to go with it. Like it had two opposing sides, two, two things it was trying to fit into, which maybe speaks to the complexity of the issue. But yep. there was just two, those two scenes for me, I was like, kind of put me offside. Can you mention um, a word about the scenes? Just give me a clue. Oh, okay. Um, both uh, her interactions with other women. Okay. So the two scenes in which revenge is played out with female characters and mm. I think that it doesn't fit in with the politics of the character. I, yeah, see, I, I yeah. I, so, yeah, that yeah was, I, I do have a counter. Mm, and but, I yeah. think the other, the other criticism I have is um, there is, uh, and as much as like she's such a wonderful character, but her character is purely left as kind of this magical um, black woman uh, kind of vibe, and that's Laverne Cox's character, who is so watchable on screen, but really yes, her character great. purely exists to help the white woman. And so that would be another, another criticism I had. The positive thing I think about this, and you touched upon this already, Sally, was that it's bringing these discussions into the mainstream. And I actually think that this is a great film, probably actually for men and women to watch and Mm -hmm. there to be this discussion. Like I think it's really going to prompt it. It's deliberately provocative, which is one of its strengths. And like Kerry Mulligan, I could watch her in anything. She could sell like cars to me and I would watch that um she's wonderful I do feel like her character stays at one note so there's a few criticisms I have and I didn't love it as much as I thought I was going to Uh but it's mainly to do with it's still an exciting film to watch also I did think that um and again it's hard to talk about this without spoilers so maybe this is an off-air discussion but I do feel as though the violence I think I wish it had gone further in like it had been um maybe a bit more revengey that was my feeling. Yeah, I was I was really surprised um, at the the lack of violence in this film. I expected mm. it to be quite violent. I guess also um, historically, rape revenge films are very violent films. Um, but I'm I, very I, conscious of that too. I've just got yeah. to say because there's a moment at the start that flags that that fakes yes. to the left where you yeah. think <laughs> she has something and turns out yep. not to be. I think I just wish that it had. I wish. I think I wish that it. <laughs> yeah. 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 But yeah, I think. Um. I don't know. I feel like that. That did work, and I also feel that it would bring it to the lack of violence would bring it to a wider audience as well. Again, yeah, so I that's think. True. That, yeah, it's yeah, the conscious yeah. decision there. Mm. True. Yeah. Um. I. I don't know. I, one of my whipping children of recent years is the recent Sofia Takal remake of Black Christmas. 
um, because it so because it sort of its remit was to remake Black Christmas, you know, in this sort of sorority fraternity type thing and address rape culture, which is fine. Except the script felt like somebody had printed out a Twitter feed and just said to the actors, <laughs> "Read that." Yeah. Um, there was no complexity. There was no subtext. All the it was ever bad, good. Uh, it's and it's all men and women are great and you couldn't remember a single character in the film and it was garbage um this i went into this i i like you dug the trailer mm. i've had different reactions to carrie mulligan in the past like sometimes i've really liked her and other times i i'm completely left cold by her um so we sat down to watch this and I don't know. I was terrified. I thought, is this going to be another Black Christmas? Am I going to? Be, are we going to be sitting here groaning our way through the film again um, as the film beats us over the head with relentlessly with its message? I ended this film crying tears of joy. I, like I just something, and maybe it was that weight of it, like that lack of expectation, but this just blindsided me in every way possible. I think it's one of the best film debuts I've seen in years. I think. Um, I think the the writing is in, like I don't think I, I don't think it lies. I, I think this this film is like is incredibly truthful in a lot of ways. Mm. I think it has creates compelling characters that all feel like even the guys like yeah you know, like because the, the the thing is that so many of these films do these guys think they are nice guys. Yeah, yeah. They, like that's you know they Actually, believe the, that and the and it's like. Is- the casting for them is great as and, well because yeah. it taps into that whole teen romance, like teen um, poster boys, you know, like there's so many young girls that would have posters of these actors up on their walls. So I think the casting is really knowing with that. Casting across the board in this yeah. film is incredible. Like, yeah, casting basically all the sweet boys from every sitcom you've watched <laughs> in the last 10 years, from the OC to the Gilmore Girls to New Girl. As the nice guy, and you know, even McLovin from Superbad. Like, I was so excited to see. <laughs> and it's and it's just so so clever, and um, the way she manages tonal shifts in this movie is astonishing. I, as a filmmaker, I was sitting there in awe. It's like, how do you balance this? How do you how do you mm-hmm. do that? How do you take us to these places? And there is a point in the film when that elevator drop happens. I thought, what the what the hell is this? Like, you can't. You can't do this, um, and and yet it she she spins her way out of it. It's just um, I felt like this had the bravery to go thematically where others fear to tread, and I felt like yeah, look, there is you know in one way it is very big and in your face and almost graphic novelly at times with the color and the pot, you know. But in the other hand, I thought the characters within it all felt kind of really well thought through. I do flick. I see what you're saying about those two scenes. I think she's faking. I think she hasn't put those characters in the situations that she we says sure. she has. Yeah. I oh, think she I think she yeah, tells them uh, enough to to scare them into that. Oh, I know that it's I know that it's fake, but the I think that oh, it's so hard to talk about. We I think she's her. also <laughs> illustrating she's she well she I think she's illustrating to them how vulnerable women are. She's like, yeah, so you could be that vulnerable too. Don't sit there from but, your ivory perch. The idea of you're yeah, safe. but the idea of making someone believe something in that situation is is the same as not being able to remember that it did happen. So I think that the the, the effect is the same. <laughs> so I feel like this new. I, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I don't yeah, know I I think it's I, the I think it's in a very same way to what she's doing to the guys. 
Mm. It's like uh, it's like as you know that that sort of thing of frightening them and 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 pulling back at the last second. Yeah, and, I think that, yeah. The difference though is that it's it's sexual violence, and mm. so yeah, um, true. I think there is a difference there, but oh, the, yeah, yeah, I think there's a di- yeah. I think you're right. I think it's not as not as it's 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 probably more scarring than what she's doing to the guys. But yeah, I think there's a. I think it's on a theme. It feels consistent with that approach to me. Because it's yeah, I, I suppose it's just the politics of it. Because yeah, okay. <laughs> it's so hard to talk. We should stop picking twisty films. Yeah. <laughs> Um, exactly it's impossible <laughs> but yeah i i think i also just thought yeah it sexual landscape women have to navigate daily simply for being themselves craving young men who hide behind niceness to take advantage of vulnerable women and tell themselves otherwise but also i like that the fact that pointed out both genders people of both genders keeping the systems in place and yep. it's not just <laughs> men are bad women good like it's not it's far more complex and muddy than yeah. that yeah and I think this is the first, one of the first films of this type that really gets that. Another film, it made me think of another, like I think the greatest, the, the, for me what is the, the masterpiece of the rape revenge film genre is April Ferrara's Miss 45. And I think this is the best film in this genre since then. Um, I think Miss 45 is still better. I think it is just, but it captured that complexity in a way that Miss 45 yeah. does. I actually... Uh, yeah, I was thinking a recent one that was um, not so recent film, but recent watch for me was Catalan Vargo. <laughs> I knew you'd bring up yeah. Catalan Vargo. I feel like I should have a bell every time Flick brings up Catalan Vargo. <laughs> um, I know what film you should watch. <laughs> Catalan Vargo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, sorry, Paul. But I like, yeah, I, um, and that's the thing. And, you know, like people, men and women, buy into this, this, these systems through whether it's through convenience, profit or fear you know and and yet she packs all of these messages into this you know all this subject like into this thrilling funny horrifying exhilarating genre ride that is so much fun to watch and is so and you know you'll see some of the twists coming and others you you, you know probably won't but um it's i just felt like geez forget all those these you know pose throwing surface level subtext free agenda pieces we've been seeing lately this mm. feels like the real deal to me um it also has two of the best needle drops of the year um <laughs> but yeah i don't know I, I i was just i found myself yeah i think and i've and i've seen some things people criticize some stuff about this film in terms of the approach of not having it go too violent and not having you know having that held back but it's weird it's like i i know it's stylized but i feel like finnell is playing as real world as possible in a mm, lot of ways. I felt that too, to be honest. That it's yeah. not like, well, if somebody did just go around shooting people, like she's going to get caught, you know what I mean? Like it's going to, mm. like there's charges. There's going to be like, like she's sort of taken it in a way that's very real, real world. I can do this and not hurt anybody and hopefully change something. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, actually, I thought the same. One thing that I would give a shout out to is the script, which is also written by Fennell, I think is possibly the the real strength of the film because it does have those anchors to to the real world um, in the way that these men speak and the interactions that Cassie has with them. That whole idea of the number of times they say nice guy, you know, we've got that in, in contemporary culture where we, you know, the idea of the woke bro and things like that, like... Hmm. I think viewers watching this will definitely tap into to something there. And I'm I'm kind of as much as I, I didn't like the film as much as as everyone else. I think that it it's good for um discussion as well. Absolutely, yeah, 
And also, I got to say too, it's the first time in a film Clancy Brown has made me cry. <laughs> He's so great. Um, in a very again brilliant casting in a very against type role. Promising Young Woman is now screening at all good cinemas. You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R. Triple R on FM, digital, online, via the app. You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with Flick Ford, Sally Christie, and myself, Paul Anthony Nelson. So as this is our first show for 2021, we're doing our summer summary show digging into a bunch of films we saw and possibly even enjoyed over our summer break in cinemas uh, and during our break from the airways. Um, the second of which is the film that it seems that all of Australia is talking about. G'day. What can I get you? Oh, can we share the uh, fisherman's basket? Yeah, good choice. Oh, we're a long way from the ocean. Oh, shut up. You'll love it. Go extra on the yabbies, eh? Yeah, that's too easy, mate. Thanks, Kelly. The Dry is the sixth feature film directed by Robert Connolly, based upon the novel by Jane Harper. Federal agent Aaron Fork, Eric Banner, returns to his hometown after an absence of over 20 years to attend the funeral of his childhood friend Luke, who allegedly killed his wife and child before taking his own life, a victim of the madness that has ravaged this community after more than a decade of drought. When Fork reluctantly agrees to stay and investigate the crime, he opens up an old wound, the death of 17-year-old Ellie Deacon. Fork begins to suspect that these two crimes, separated by decades, might be connected. As he struggles to prove not only Luke's innocence, but also his own, Fork finds himself pitted against the prejudice towards him and the pent-up rage of a terrifying community. Uh, Flick... I might be the only person in Australia to have not seen this film yet and therefore possibly guilty of treason. Does the dry manage to break the drought of entertaining mainstream Aussie cinema? Um, it's definitely entertaining. I um, It was one of those films where I honestly was just wanting to go to the cinema, so that's why I picked picked this one to see over the summer break. Um it's it's very entertaining. I mean, anyone who read Jane Harper's The the, the Dry, which I think I'm one of the only people in Australia not to have read, um, loved that book. So, they, you know, if everyone loves it, then I feel like there'll be a lot of people going rushing to see this straight away. But um, I hadn't read the book, so I didn't actually have any context for it. But uh, I love Eric Banner, so I was just actually, that was a big factor as to why I wanted to see this. And, you know, he's always very watchable on screen and I think he's really well cast in this and there's a very strong, like, the way in which they conjure the town and the history of the town and this kind of very dark past and, and kind of the the different characters within it. It's really well mapped out. Um, having said that, I do feel like it's a little bit of a midday movie vibe to it. Um I feel like if this was a Netflix, uh, not Netflix, if this was like a show on the ABC or like a, you know, straight to screen or it worked out to be a lot of TV series on an SBS or something like that, I think it would have done exceptionally well. Um, I think as a standalone film, I don't know whether it really captured, it didn't feel 
big enough for me, which is maybe um, a cruel thing to say about a film about a small rural town, but it just didn't have that that depth to it that I was expecting. I think it would have worked better as maybe a, a three-part series and for, for the characters to be further developed and because the space and the, the kind of the the storylines behind each of these characters is really interesting. And I think when you're working off, when it's an adaptation, it's always really hard to get the, the full complexity of the novel onto the screen. So decisions have to be made as to, to what gets cut. Um, I think that's why often short stories sometimes make for better films. Um, that's a personal um, gripe I've got with adapt screen adaptations. But that aside, I think it's like it's really well produced. Like Robert Connolly obviously has done has been involved in a whole heap of um, Australian films. He's kind of such a prominent figure. But um, yeah, it didn't didn't quite um, work for me. Um, but still really enjoyable to watch. I don't know. How did you feel, Sal? Yeah, I saw this, uh, God, it feels like, well, it was quite a long time ago. I saw this um, the opening night of uh, the as the opening film of Pentridge Cinema. So Oh, that would have been perfect. And Eric Banner was there and he introduced <laughs> oh, the film and it was, perfect. you know, and he told lots of great stories about yeah. film chopper in Pentridge and that was the last time <laughs> he was there. And so yeah, it was it was um it was really fun to go and see because it was, you know, the whole big opening of the cinema yeah. and everyone was a buzz and all that kind of thing. And it's the same with you, Flick. I found this movie uh, really entertaining. I was entertain the entire time that it was on um Eric Banner is great there is a a lot of beauty in this film Mm. visual beauty I think that um they've kind of really captured that rural Australia and how breathtaking that can be at times which I don't know I feel living here sometimes I I forget that or you know I take that for granted um so it was nice to sort of revisit that sort of beauty that we have here in Australia um, and it, it is, <laughs> it's such an Australian film. There's so many things that are so uniquely Australian. Um, and like you, Flick, I haven't read the book, but there's a focus around pokies. There's a focus around bushfires. There's a lot of beer so, fights. <laughs> there's beer fights. The, so, yeah. the clip, the short clip I played to intro it literally had the words, G'day, mate, and yabbies. In it. <laughs> <laughs> so it really kind of, um, yeah, it feels like that you know, a sort of Australiana coming back. Um, There was a lot of this film that I found a bit daggy for (laughs) a a, a really Australian word to use. Like cringe, you mean? Yeah. So also, you know, one of the characters kind of for no reason looked a bit like a poor man's Jarvis Cocker. Um, (laughs) And, you know, there was a... Again, I'm not going to give away spoilers, but one, the kind of final climactic scene in this film I found quite overdone. Um, I thought it was quite unnecessary. And there were, so as Flick was saying before, you know, sort of two main storylines going on in this film, Eric Banner's character investigating what's happening now and then what has happened in his past. Uh, I think the stuff with his past... uh, some of it was necessary, but some of it wasn't. I don't think it made the film any stronger. And like I was saying, like I haven't read the book, so I, yeah. I don't know that kind of background. Mm. But I didn't feel that it it added a whole lot to this cat these characters' development. Um, but yeah, there's some really great things about this film. But 
yeah, kind of missed the mark for me a bit as well, to be honest. Yeah, it's a shame, isn't it? Because I think that um, I do, <laughs> that when you when you said it, it feels a bit daggy parts, I do know what you mean by when I was watching it. But I I kind of almost liked that, and maybe it was that kind of re looking at um those rural towns in like a different lens as well. Like the film does have this kind of tenderness to it. But yeah, it does feel a little bit like well, it's mainly the sweaty Jarvis Cocker name. <laughs> <laughs> also, I think there's this real tendency, and I I love watching Australian cinema, and I love chanting it, and I love yeah, me too, me too. To yeah. talk about it. So I don't want to like kind of you know yeah, have an attack on this. But more so, I think that there's like I think there's a tendency sometimes in Australian cinema to really lean too much into that whole like trauma memoir or like really like. I think um, that film, um, oh, I forgot the name of it, Down River was a great example yeah. of like going too hard on the trauma. And mm-hmm. I was just like, I think Australian cinema sometimes needs to find a bit of a nicer balance. And a film that we'll be talking about in a few weeks that I can really recommend is High Ground. Yes. <laughs> so in a few weeks, we'll be going into a deep dive on that. But I think as far as like, I think there is a bit of a trend towards that. And that's become very emblematic of, of how Australian cinema is characterised. And, and I think that, um, Paul, you've mentioned perhaps in the past that that's a bit of a gripe that you have. Yeah. Um, mm. with... I, don't, I don't know that you'd like it, Paul. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, I don't it's... know. What do you think, Sal? Do I, you think I don't know. I should say it. I don't know. I love, I love me some Banner. Um, and I like Connolly. I like him mm. as a like I've, I've met him briefly a couple of times. He, he's a lovely guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, having said that, uh, flick the uh, throwing barbs at the film probably isn't going to hurt it. It's grossed $13 million <laughs> in Australia so far, right. and it's outgrossed everything. Like it's the biggest hit of 2021 so far. Um, wow, blew amazing. Wonder Woman away justifiably. I, <laughs> and I can say that even without seeing it. Um, but um, it's funny you mentioned the TV thing, Flick, because we saw an ad for this actually been seeing Promising Young Woman. Um, and there was an ad and I don't know, it had been specially cut for the cinema or something like that, but it literally, it had these sort of images sort of bleeding from one into the other. And I was literally waiting for that voiceover guy from channel nine to be like this year on channel nine, Eric Banner, (laughs) the dry brand new series in 2021. Like I expect it was like, it looked like something that was going to premiere on channel nine. Yeah. yeah, well, it's not actually a criticism because we're living in an age of prestige television. Exactly. Yeah, Hang actually, on a minute. <laughs> yeah. Channel Nine flick. <laughs> I didn't say I HBO. My... I didn't well, say my... I didn't say Amazon Prime. <laughs> I said Channel Nine. Well, my recommendation was ABC or SBS for a TV show. Oh, good. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> do produce very quality. They know, do quality TV shows. But no, I, I just kind of can see it, and it's yeah, it is not a criticism to say that this should have been a TV show. It is is mm. more so that I think it just would have had bigger appeal. And uh, yep. well, I say that, and you know, obviously there's people rushing out to see it, but I, I just think it would have been better shown in that sort of way like as a a kind of staggered storyline and uh, yeah I think it would have worked much better and maybe been without having read the book I imagine would have allowed for those qualities of the book to have come through a bit more yep yeah excellent um and those sort of character like shows can focus on characters individually as well like like a lot of shows based on novels do this thing now where they they have a bottle episode like not a bottle episode but like an episode that focuses on a certain character's point of view yeah. And their relation to everything. It's like, oh, we get inside their head now. And yeah. Mm. Yeah. And there was a, yeah, there are lots of interplay with past and present in this film that, yeah, like I was saying, I felt didn't necessarily work so well, which could perhaps be fleshed out more in if it was a TV series. Mm. 
All right. So if you want to see um, a show, uh, a film that is definitely not a show premiering on Channel 9 this year, <laughs> um, the Australian hit movie The Dry is now screening at all good cinemas if you're one of the eight Australians who haven't seen it yet, like me. Uh, you are listening to Primal Screen on 3RRR. Independently yours, Triple R. 102.7. You're listening to the first Primal Screen of 2021 with Sally Christie, Flick Ford, and myself, Paul Anthony Nelson. So as tonight is our summer summary show, we've been wrapping up the films we saw over the summer. And we've uh, reviewed Promising Young Woman, uh, which... We most mostly loved. Um, <laughs> two thirds. I've, I very much loved. Uh, yeah, sort of two and a half out of three. I think uh, is <laughs> Sally and I loved it. Flick was in the middle. Uh, the dry, which Sally and Flick were both entertained but underwhelmed by. To be fair to say. Yeah. And now for our third film of the evening. Tu sais ce que c'est l'amour. L'amour, c'est donner ce qu'on n'a pas. Et tu prêt à donner ce que tu n'as pas. Only the Animals is the sixth feature film directed by Dominic Moll, based on the novel by Colin Beale. In a quiet mountain town in the south of France, a woman has disappeared. The day after a snowstorm, her car is found abandoned on the side of the road, leading to nothing but a few scattered farms. The police have nothing to go on, while five individuals well know they have something to do with the woman's disappearance. They all keep their secrets to themselves, but no one suspects that the whole story began far from these windswept wintry peaks on another continent in the burning sun where poverty doesn't stop desire from taking the law into its own hands. Flick, did this, uh, did this film give you a, a remind you of the interconnectedness of, of life and wealth disparity and also to remember to pay a, uh, a voodoo uh, priest when... <laughs> You're yeah, make sure, make sure you're never in debt to a voodoo priest. So yeah, yeah. You gotta of... you gotta give the gods their share. <laughs> Undoubtedly. Um yeah, I saw this film as part of it was a triple R screening actually, which is a good reminder to all our listeners to become a subscriber and you get to come along to fun film screenings with um usually one of us. So yeah, ex um yeah, excellent turnout for the triple R screening the other week. Uh, this film, I actually went in without really knowing much about it at all. So it was kind of wonderful having no, you know, um, preconceptions about what this was going to be. I don't even think, maybe I had watched the trailer, but it was, you know, definitely on the way to the cinema. And I was like, okay, this looks, this looks really interesting. Um, I really loved this film. I thought that it was really clever. I was surprised by how funny some parts of this are. But I think more than anything, um, you know, the title, Only the Animals, refers to, it's actually a line from one of the characters, and um, he says this is, you know, it's made in in reference to who he talks to, and it's only the animals. And I think that this film really taps into this idea of not just isolation in a sense of not being around people, but a deep, a deeper sense of isolation. And we see that in some of the troubled relationships that appear on screen and I think there's um there's a very there's a very wonderful um and very complex storytelling at at play here, and it's really the artistry of this film is the way in which information 
is is kind of disseminated and I think it's quite a it's almost has a very playful sense of of information uh portrayal and and characters and how you only see one side of it so there's certain moments in this film that are replayed but from with different understanding behind them um but I think that at its core it's very human film like it's it's thinking of it's thinking through those really difficult moments in relationships it's thinking about what people are looking for what they what they don't have and where they try to find it and it does that with this wonderful side side platter of of a bit of crime a bit of uh you know um lust a bit you know it's got all these lovely elements to it and um still manages to throw in a bit of humor as well I I found myself absolutely riveted by this film there it is a bit I don't know some people it might not be everyone's cup of tea but um I really enjoyed it wow um it's very it's very entertaining um I went into this like you. Know, I'd seen the trailer and I'd sort of heard, "Oh, French Fargo or whatever." Um, it's like, <laughs> okay, sure, it's not. Yeah. Um, so no. don't believe that bit of advertising. <laughs> um, but not even in any way. Like, in, like it's not going for that. Like, it's no, not, not a ad- black comedy. It's yeah. not. You know, it's fairly straight. There was an uh, ad for Fargo when I went to see it. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, because it's there. It's what is it? It's some anniversary for them. <laughs> oh, anyway. okay. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Twenty fifth. Twenty something. Ninety six. Ninety six. Twenty twenty one. Yeah. Um, I felt that only the animals was at its best when using its sort of intriguing slow burn murder mystery. And like you, Flick, I love the chapter device. Like, yeah. I'm always a fan of that. I like that show something and then later show it from another perspective. And, yeah. And get that other point of view. Um, which I really dug. I think it, yeah, I think it's at its best when using that to comment on class, sexuality, mm. and simmering tensions and disparity that these create. And the performances are all really great. Um, I particularly liked Valeria Bruni Tedeschi as um, the missing woman. Mm. As, um, that's, yeah, that's an interesting one to pick. Yeah. She's got um, a role, really. Yeah, I don't know. I, I felt. I, I liked her. Mm. <laughs> I sort of felt that she was very upfront and yeah. other characters were being a bit unreasonable given the information they'd been supplied. Um, <laughs> no spoilers. <laughs> yeah, again, no, it was dancing around spoilers. <laughs> and I think Mole creates a, a rather nice mood, but it did feel a lot at times like an SBS, again, back to this sort of thing, it felt like an SBS Eurocrime <laughs> show shot in Cinemascope. Like it's like yeah. the, the aspect ratio is different, but everything else is pretty much that. Mm-hmm. Um and while the film is, for me, is at its best a potent statement on the Byzantine cause and effect of wealth disparity and colonialism and its far-reaching consequences that we can barely conceive of and that it's all, you know, like that, you know, it's the, the butterfly effect. It's like, you know, a, a butterfly on one side, you know, flaps its wings and an eruption happens on the other side. It's like that. It's like as a poor guy in, you know, where is it, Abijad, I want to say, is that? I had the location um, written down somewhere and now I've lost it. But because we're constantly trying to figure out where. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, we- Ivory Coast. Yeah, yeah. Ivory Coast, yeah. Um, and, um, you know, that uh, someone broke here ends up ending up, ends up with the murder of a woman in the south of France. And it's like, how does that connect? Um, but um, no spoilers, obviously. Just those two <laughs> things are in the film and they're connected because that's. <laughs> the kind of statement that this film is making. And I think the problem is 
particularly because I think the film takes itself pretty seriously and that's fine. Like it is, you know, it's yeah, like a story it, of murders and stuff and yeah. there's humour in it but I don't think it's ever kind of taking the piss. Like it's, which which means that for me when the script started to really double down into an over-reliance on very pat coincidences, I think it began to feel a bit silly to me. Like like yeah, towards the end, yeah. like I- the la- last coincidence in particular made me laugh. <laughs> like somebody gets a- um yeah the, the final the final act is um unbelievable that i actually oh, yeah. feel like Utterly. that is um oh, a lot of it the film is unbelievable but i think that that's actually uh one of the traits of the the melodrama in some mm. ways like how could this ever happen mm. uh, i don't know i think it just leaned into that it does feel incredibly french which um in see i sense. normally love that <laughs> but yeah there's things like there's like things like there's like very like murders happen it's like would you really have gone that far like yeah and 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 also to um yeah if if um if you don't want to see a a, a dead puppy at some point maybe don't watch this mm, um yeah. and that and that sort of like why like, who wants to see a dead puppy <laughs> exactly <laughs> none of our sicko cell you know we gotta we, we do have a you know we we do have a strong sicko quotient listening in, um, <laughs> but but I did but but while all this was happening, like while I do have these gripes, I I I did find it entertaining. Like it is like it is very solid in every way, and and yeah. and the and the and the cast are really fun. And for a while, it, there's a lot of intrigue, and I liked the connections it made for two thirds of its running time. Yeah, yeah, it is a long film, isn't it? Mm. Um, it is a very long film. I think it's that thing where they're just overwhelmed maybe by all these different characters and the storylines. Um, yeah, I do I do really like it though. It's one of those films where I at the time was maybe not really because I didn't know if we were, whether we would be properly reviewing this film. So it's kind of like watching it but not really just kind of watching it without any, you know, ideas of, of how to to make sense of it so I just enjoyed it but I think if, if the listeners who really like melodrama I think this will be mm. a cup of tea and anyone who's like I th- um, for me personally I think it feels very kind of um I don't know very French but it's a German it's a German um, German yeah it's a French film directed so, by a German yeah, yeah but it has I think it le- it kind of exists I can definitely see those influences in this film like when you're watching it um I don't know. I think you should check it out. But it is also a good reminder that, you know, if you're a Triple R subscriber, you can just become, you can watch it for free and then you're just like <laughs> get to be get, part of the discussion anyway. <laughs> totes. Um, and I've got to say, I, I I would probably recommend it to fans of like, you know, SBS, Euro yes, crime type shows. Absolutely. I think they'd really dig it. Yes. Um, and, yeah, and I think, but I think it does, yeah, it, it it does reach for a slightly higher aim, which I which I was impressed with. But I think, yeah, I think the silliness of the final third kind of, deflates that a little bit but look it's 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 still perfectly good fun so only the animals is now screening at palace and selected independent cinemas i thought we'd do a quick lightning round to just see if there's anything else that we've seen out of new releases um that uh we've enjoyed this summer sal you've got one or two yeah, yeah. One that um I watched uh, last week, which was yeah released last week, was um Happy Happy Joy Joy, the Ren and Stimpy story, um which I think premiered at Sundance last year, and it is available to watch here now on Doc Play, which in its title is pretty self-explanatory. It's the Ren and Stimpy story. Um, if you grew up in the nineties like I did. 
perhaps you're familiar with a cat and dog called Ren and Stimpy and they were, you know, it's a, pr- a pretty interesting show. I, I was a big fan. I'm still a big fan of it. And I was really interested to see how they would approach this documentary. Um, John Kay, who is the creator of Ren and Stimpy, is an absolute garbage person and, you know, just an all-round awful, awful person who he features in this documentary. Um, and Would, would was, we say that Cassie from Promising Young Woman might be uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> having been a sight, sure. yeah, that kind of yes. garbage person? Yes. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that's no secret. So I was, I was interested to see how they are going to approach this documentary, having him in it with information that is available um, that, you know, is, is made public about him. Uh, and I thought it was a really interesting exploration of how we often see see something as a face if we see this as being created by John Kay, but it really went into looking at all these people that made this show possible and what it was and all these incredible animators and how it was the product of over 100 people and not this one person. Mm. Um it's definitely not a feel-good documentary by any means. Happy, happy, joy, joy is a misleading title. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, I really love that the because it just could have gone so many ways and I love that approach where they really put a spotlight on, you know, different animators, producers, people at Nickelodeon that um, helped develop the idea of the show, um, you know, I guess letting an audience know that it wasn't um, fully fleshed out by one person but the entire team and yeah I, I really I really love that and that kind of you know reinforcing the idea that behind this art there is a lot of people that make it it takes and a village yeah mm. exactly and it's not just one person and yeah it was pretty remarkable I loved it mm. so is yeah it- that's on, that's on doc play am I right Sel that it's the documentary they got two-thirds through making and then all the all the all the, uh, or they got most of the way through making, and then all the John K stuff came out, and they had to kind of, they yes. almost like tacked it on the end, and it's, and the film was almost structured like they found out. Yeah, like yeah, it, just- it kind of almost works like then expose that way. I think so. There was a, a BuzzFeed article um, that oh, I can't think of her name. Anyway, basically, John K um, had groomed young women that were living with him sort of from the age of 14, um, you know, in, you know, adult relationships. And, you know, they've sort of come forward talking about, you know, what's happened to them. And because of the statute of limitations, there's nothing that can be, they can't press charges about, Mm. you know, from their experience, um, you know, their abuse at his hands. So that did come out midway through this documentary being made. And I thought, I assumed that they probably wouldn't even touch on it. But they do. They have um, both of the women that were involved in sort of, you know, coming forward and putting their stories forward speak about it. Um, John Kay also speaks about it, which, you know, I don't know that him being given a platform to speak about it is necessarily a great thing, but it's certainly not glorified. So, yeah, it's it's very, very interesting to look at. It's a very complicated thing when we're looking at, you know, sweet little Ren and Stimpy. Yeah. So that's Happy, Happy, Joy, Joy, the Ren and Stimpy story on Doc Play. Yes, that's correct. Flick, you've got a couple. Yeah, I just remembered that I actually I discovered that on SBS there's quite a few um, Miyazaki um, films on. Uh, actually on Netflix, sorry. Netflix has a whole heap. Yes. And I managed to catch um, from Up on Poppy Hill, um, which is a 2011 kind of um, romance, I suppose you could say. It's set in 1963, um, kind of after this modernisation of, of Japan. And I 
got st- I missed the first I don't know half hour of it and I got just so sucked into it and then straight after um went and watched uh rewatched Nausicaa um which is uh the 1984 um, Miyazaki film um, but I just I just sort of reminded me of how much I love those films so they're old films but they're playing the screen streaming now on Netflix where I can go through and like me over the mm-hmm. next fortnight I'm going to be making my way through all of them um, and just a quick shout out um, I did do a I asked all these triple R presenters for the final show of the year to give me recommendations of what they've been watching in lockdown and I finally got into watching Chernobyl which is an amazing series it's yeah great. it is isn't it <laughs> Very, very good. Yeah. The, that, the moment when they step into that's the three guys and they step into the dark thing yeah. and, and all yeah. of their uh, things go, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I very quickly, I will say, I'll give shout outs to Miranda July's Kajillionaire, which I saw really late and I really enjoyed it. Um, um, Evan Rachel Wood is kind of incredible in it. She's, she's always playing like a female Jason Muse. It's quite bizarre, <laughs> but but it's like yeah, it's kind of um, it's essentially a, it's a story about bad parents. It's like a family of con artists. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, Richard Jenkins and Deborah Winger as Evan Rachel Wood's parents, and they meet um, Genesis Rodriguez, who's this young woman who decides to kind of get in with them for sort of you know bit of fun bit of experience but ends up becoming ends up bonding with the evan rachel wood character and helps you know tries to help save her from her parents it's really great um and also if you're gonna throw you're gonna do the same sbs currently have all the seven up films the documentaries following a selection of um british everyday british people every seven years and i've never seen them and um the passing of michael apted Director Michael Apted in January um, spurred me on to get into them, and I'm up to 42 up, and it's incredible. Um, it is everything is advertised. Go watch all the Seven Up films. Um, they've got up to the latest one, 63 Up, which came out come out in 2019. Um, yeah, and I'm watching one a week. I'm trying to space them out. Not, I can't wait every seven years. I can't do that. Like the poor <laughs> British viewing public had to. A week weekly is enough for me. <laughs> So that is our massive primal screen wrap-up of what we were watching over summer. Um, you have been listening to uh, Flick Ford, Sally Christie, and myself, Paul Anthony Nelson, on Primal Screen's first show for 2021. You can also subscribe to the Primal Screen podcast via iTunes or wherever else you find your favourite podcasts. Next week, we'll see Jude Law drag an unsuspecting Carrie Coon to England in the 80s in Sean Durkin's thriller The Nest. Then we'll look at the life, art, sex and scandals of 1950s artist Rosaline Norton and the Australian documentary The Witch of King's Cross. And we'll have our first interview of the year as we chat to the film's director, Sonia Bible. A huge thank you to Morty Osborne for editing the Primal Screen podcast, to Keller Carl Chapman for panelling the show and providing producing assistance. Thanks for listening to Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. 